You won't stop me from earning my name, Federation. Not Federation. Chakotay. That's my name. Did you have to earn it? No, not exactly. Then your name means nothing. My name was a gift from my tribe. I cherish it every day of my life. Just as I cherish the Federation uniform. I should respect you because you wear that uniform. Your name, my uniform. Not much difference. We both have to earn them. Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Stuart Hollis. I'm Thad Haight. And this week we're talking about Season 2, Episode 2, Initiations. Well, we've only begun to talk, but yes. It's true. Our synopsis from TV Guide... After saving the life of a young Kazon warrior who was trying to kill him, Chakotay is kidnapped and taken aboard a Kazon ship. I mean, yeah, that's pretty good. Memory Alpha's is, like, trying to win awards for being super short. Chakotay becomes caught up in a young Kazon's rite of passage. Well, they're not wrong. No. I feel like a little more information wouldn't be amiss, though. What is that from? Well... You're not wrong, or they're not wrong. I mean, it's used so often everywhere. I'm like, but I'm like, quoting or referencing a specific thing every time I say it. Sometimes memories are like a Caledon dog, you know? I don't. I'm referencing the episode. I don't remember Caledon dog, but okay. And and Star Trek's general tendency to, well, it can't just be a dog, and we can't say a Caledon other word we have to give oh, yeah. we have to give the audience something to ground themselves with mm-hmm. so so how about you tell us uh who wrote this episode so we can you know pin this one on mm. well first off this episode aired on september 4th 1995 uh it was written by kenneth biller uh who has written for voyager before already and will continue to write for voyager but this is his first uh, soul credit, meaning that he he both came up with the story and wrote the script for this episode. Okay. He did get some assistance from Michael Pillar, though. Apparently, he was originally making the Klingons more... Or no, not the Klingons. The Kazons? More like Klingons. And uh, Michael Pillar suggested that he model them off Los Angeles gangs, and that's what he did. I mean, they have... Forehead ridges. Yeah. They have crazy hair. Yeah. They're a warrior uh, race. Yeah. You can be forgiven uh-huh. for conflating Klingons and Kazon. Yes, you can. I was directed by Vinrik Kolba, who has done a lot of Star Trek already and will continue to do Star Trek. Yeah, we've talked about him before. Yep. Yeah. Some of the some interesting things. This was the first episode produced for season two. Because we, as we already talked about, um, the thirty sevens and um, projections, projections and elogium were all going to be season one episodes. Right. It'll be a couple of weeks before we talk about elogium. Yes. It's interesting that, like, right in the middle of that grouping, is the true season two episode. Yes. And not like. And that it's not, like, a bunch of season one leftovers and then launching into the first season two. Because this one, this one could go anywhere. It doesn't, mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, there's some, like, larger canon stuff, like, uh, 
Maj Razik getting wasted, which is a shame. I thought he could have been like a cunning and interesting foe. Mm. And Haliz, since we're out of season one now, and this is like a complete standalone 90% Chicote episode, Haliz takes prize for being a block of wood. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, speaking of Majorjik and the Kazon Ogla, uh, mm-hmm. I have two questions. One, I have five answers. Alright. Well, I have lots of questions, but specifically, <laughs> how freaking large is Kazon Ogla space? It changes all the time. I know, but it was... Voyager has been traveling for a year now, and they're still in Kazon Ogla space. It, yeah, I mean... and. You also consider that about halfway through the episode, when they're like, okay, well, let's get back on the road. Where's Chakotay? He's not here yet. Uh, okay, well, call back the other away teams. Like, did they take, like, a weekend break? Apparently. Or something? Well, I think they were doing, hologra- they were doing holographic uh, combat trials that Neelix wasn't let in on. But they were also talking about away teams. I want all away teams back on board now. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what what they were doing. But yes, it seems like they took some time. I get that they're explorers and everything. And I suppose that if they're already looking at a 70-year journey back home, what's the difference between that and like a 72-year journey Mm. if they take extra time to be the explorers and become a generation ship? Yeah. My point about the case on Ogla is... Kazon Ogla, that, those were the Kazon from Caretaker. Not the Nistrum. No, Nistrum were the ones from uh, State of Flux. Not State of Flux. Uh, no, State of Flux is correct, yeah. Okay, interesting. I thought it was like 75% Nistrum in Season 1. I didn't realize it was the Ogla. Is there, other than them telling us, is there any way for us to be able to know? Maybe... Uh, well, the Nistrum had different, as is mentioned here, the Nistrum have uniforms. Oh, okay, okay. They wore, like, those red things. Well, then, there you go, that's how we know. Uh, but also, they told us. Uh, when Neelix first, when they land on the planet to get the water, Neelix says, these are the Kazon Ogla, and Jane was like, the Kazon Ogla? Who are the Kazon Ogla? In, all the way back in Caretaker. Yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, I was picking up what you were putting down. Yeah, so that's why I'm like, dang, Kazon Ogla territory is large. Well, yes, I mean, clearly. But you also have to factor in that Neelix, who we have long been wondering uh, about the utility of his guideness. I don't have a better Mm -hmm. way of phrasing that sentence. Uh, His pathfinding? Yeah, maybe. Um He's like, well, at a certain point, like, how far did this guy travel? Mm. That comes up eventually. God, I hope so. (laughs) No, they do eventually reach the farthest Neelix has traveled, and it's kind of a... He has an existential crisis about it. He has an existential crisis a little bit in this episode. Yes, he does. Which I I hate. Yeah, we get a name drop for Ayala. Uh, Yeah, I caught that. How you like that, uh... Ben Nielsen. <laughs> so let's uh let let's rewind back to the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. We have Chakotay on a shuttle 
which Janeway has granted him the use of, which I recognize that's how these things work, but it like feels like a weird way to say it. He's yes. the second ranking officer on the ship. Like I recognize that he would still have to get permission from the captain, but it's weird that he would put that in his log and not just I have I have set out on a shuttle for some alone time. I also have to wonder why can't he have his alone time on the holodeck? I was wondering that myself. I mean, wouldn't that even be more accurate for his? Unless it's more about being solitary and away from others than it mm. is about like literal physical distance. But I have to wonder why he needed to be a couple of light years. Yeah. Because at one point he like calls out, like, my ship is a few light years away. And it's like, why are you so far? <laughs> why don't you just go, like, an AU? That's literally further than anyone who follows your beliefs has ever been <laughs> during this, like, during this rite. Like, why do you need to be light years away? Who knows? Yeah. But I, I, I did, like the focus on Chakotay in this episode. Mm -hmm. I mean, as we discussed in the last season, his sort of like his slow evolution of a character. Um, I like that more of it's coming out. Although there were a couple of things in this episode that struck me as kind of like, huh? Like some of the things he said were kind of odd. Hmm. So coming back to the Kazon sects for a moment, I believe at one point Carr says there are, there are currently 18 sects. Changes every day. Yesterday there were 18. So, uh, given that, it seems weird that we would be seeing the Ogla again. Wouldn't it have made more sense to have us see the Kazon Baku or, you know, hmm. you know what I'm saying? I do. Um, yeah, I wonder if... Because... I mean, obviously, I've seen every episode of Voyager, obviously, <laughs> but a lot of it's pretty hazy, because it has been quite some time since I did a rewatch, so maybe the Ogla are just one of... I mean, 18 sects doesn't tell us there are 18 evenly balanced sects. I mean, think That's about true. on Stargate, which we talk about on our other podcast, Stargate Weekly, shameless plug... Where you have all the system lords, but there are there are like major system lords and minor system lords, and even amongst the major system lords, they're not they have like a tenuous alliance, but they're not perfectly evenly balanced. So the Ogla could just be one of like the larger, more rootin' tootin' sects out there. Hmm. I now can't remember. We might meet more than just the Ogla and the Nistrum coming up later in alliances. I can't remember if we do or not. Uh, but the only ones that I can remember off the top of my head are the Oakland and the Nistrum. And I could remember them before we started watching season one, too. So it's not like I, I remember them because of season one. Nistrum I remembered better for some reason. I think just, like, the name to me is more memorable than Ogla. Well, the Nistrum are kind of more important. They'll have a really big role later this season. I look forward to it. Uh, but, yeah. I just... I just just a interesting thing there. Also, mm -hmm. we would be remiss if we did not mention that Carr is played by Aaron Eisenberg, who is much more famous for playing Nog on Deep Space Nine. Yes, in fact, we threw out a Twitter poll on that front. Yes, we put up a poll about that, uh, specifically asking did people recognize Aaron Eisenberg. 
we had 58 votes. 84% said, of course. 14% said, what? And 2% said, what's a nog? I stand with the 2%. <laughs> you are the 2%? Yes. Uh, <laughs> are you literally the 2%? Were you the one person that voted what's a nog? I don't think I voted, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it seemed unreasonable for me to vote in that one because i actually I mean like because like you and i were talking about this because when when i was first watching this episode i'm like boy that guy's voice sounds familiar <laughs> <laughs> so i kind of realized it was nog like not yeah. or aaron eisenberg but i mean it it took me a minute uh maybe like halfway through the episode uh, I think largely because I don't think we ever saw like Aaron Eisenberg's bare arms in uh, in DS Nine or anything like that. So I only had like his voice to go off of and his stature. Yeah, well, like his head shape ish. Like you can still see Aaron Eisenberg in Nog. He's got a lot of hardware in both instances. He does, but he's still there's still you can still see some of his face there. Okay. I specific I was definitely able to pick up on it because just a couple weeks ago I was at a convention that Aaron Eisenberg was at. So like he in particular is cemented in my brain at the moment. Did you give him a high five? Did you give him a button? I shook his hand. Okay. But you didn't give him a button? No, I that feels weird you have brought dishonor to the pod it feels weird to give buttons to yeah that just seems dishonor dishonor on you dishonor on your cow oh well yes okay so in one of our brief not focusing on chakotay moments of the show Mm -hmm. we have neelix talking with captain janeway in her ready room Yes, And I love Janeway's thing where she's talking to him. He's like, and your cooking has become almost certainly a highlight. And your meals are getting to be. Yes. Almost certainly a highlight of every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She She's a captain. She's been at this for a while. She knows how to deliver... Uh, you know, she knows how to phrase things that it sounds to the other person's ears like a compliment. <laughs> yes. Yeah, as a captain, she knows how to be diplomatic. So I find it interesting, and this is this comes back to the uh, gang sort of thing that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a pro. It wasn't really a problem that Chakotay was in their space. It's that he was in a ship displaying the markings of the Federation. That is that did seem to be what really set them off. I suppose that, well, because for the Ogla themselves in particular, where it was that they had eschewed uniforms, it's weird from like a gang perspective, it's weird the idea of them being like, you have your uniforms, and it's like, but you're all part of a big gang. Yeah, I know. Like, you all identify yourselves as part of the big gang, like... Yeah, but they don't have uniforms. I mean, I guess. I don't know, though. Some of them seem to be wearing very similar clothing. Yeah, and what is, like, what is the deal with the Ogla in particular, and, like, the Kazon more, like, generally, but the Ogla particularly, with, like, with your technology? Like, what is that? You live on a spaceship. Well, 
future knowledge, the the Kazon didn't make the spaceship. Ah, they're just they're happy to use other people's technology, but they apparently have like a real chip on their shoulder about anyone who can invent technology. Not in, not directly. Okay, so uh, Carr mentions that the Kazon had overthrown the Trabe. Uh, so the Trabe basically treated had the Kazon as slaves, and they okay. and they were a technologically advanced people with. And all the ships and all the technology that we see is we think that we think of as Kazon is actually Trabe technology that the Kazon took when they overthrew the Trabe. We'll discover this in a later episode this season when we meet some Trabe and they think they're Kazon at first because they're in ships that look just like the Kazon ships. Okay, so again, it's not that they have a problem using technology so much as the idea of other people who can invent technology. Right, because I, I think they conflate it with the people that enslaved them. I mean, I, yeah, I suppose, like, in their mind, like, anyone who can do that must also be willing to, like, enslave people. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's a very narrow worldview for for people who have such a wide swath of territory. That's what I'm thinking, but yeah. The Kazon, I don't completely hate the Kazon. I know there are some people that do. But I do feel like the Kazon probably could have been a lot better than they actually are. Like slightly like more one dimensional than your average Star Trek alien? Mm. A little bit, yeah. I mean most Star Trek aliens are fairly one dimensional. Mm. So speaking of one dimensional things, in addition to aliens, we also have planets and moons that are all exactly the same throughout their entire surface yes yeah like a single biome right such as this moon that paris has done a surface scan and the soil won't support the voyager anywhere yeah i don't think he said anywhere but it is probable that it certainly is not going to support voyager anywhere that's useful Mm. all right all right yes the better way to write that would have been something to the effect of like any landing areas that would be beneficial to us are too rocky yeah which would have been even a very good point, considering they were in rocks. Right. So, like, that would have been, I, I think, like, the better the better way to put that in there. Speaking of rocks, the scenes on the moon were shot at Vasquez Rocks, which is a big filming place for a lot of things. Uh, because it's less than 37 miles from Hollywood, and Union Rules... Are, mean that you can't shoot more than 37 miles from Hollywood without special stuff. Wait, wait, hold on. So at 38 miles... Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. How? Okay. I have to know. I don't know. I didn't look that up. I'm willing to wait. I have interesting things to say about Vasquez Rocks. Say your things about Vasquez Rocks. Vasquez Rocks, uh, many shows and movies have been shot there. Uh, Specifically, though... Many episodes of the original Star Trek were shot there. Uh, most famously, it's where Kirk the fights f- the Gorn. Right. I was going to say, is this also where Kirk fought Gorn? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now I'll look up the 37-mile thing. Studio labor and the origins of Hollywood's 30-mile zone. But that's 30 and not 37. Oh, interesting. TMZ okay. stands for 30-mile zone. Oh, so that's why... Ah, Interesting. I always kind of wonder why it was called that. Yeah. So, 
Yes. So yeah, the rule is that within thirty miles, uh, extras, on-site laborers, craftspeople, everybody are expected to transport themselves. Okay. It is possible. No, even today, since over a thirty-mile radius on the intersection of La Cienega and Beverly Boulevards. So the thirty-seventh thing that you got from Memory Alpha. I mean, probably wrong. It's probably wrong. Um, Unless they had a specific contract, unless Paramount had a specific contract with the union or something. uh, Right. So, so, so that, that could be, uh, that, that could be it. But yeah, it does seem that, and that makes a certain degree of sense. The 30 mile thing. Um, And it would be that, you know, much better to make it as a a mileage and not a time thing, because especially nowadays in Los Angeles, if you made like a, if you, like, if you gave it like a time thing, it's like, okay, so great. So I'll like, so, so it's like a two block radius. It's like a two block radius around the studio. Like that's what you're saying to me. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So my, my guess on this, and because the only reference memory alpha gives to that is an article from the magazine Cinefantastique. So I can't really... I don't. I have no way of verifying that thirty, the thirty-seven miles. So my guess is that's either either a typo, or Paramount had a specific contract that allowed for thirty-seven miles. Uh, yeah, and it would be interesting to see if we could find out more. Maybe as some like follow up on a later show. Mm. Speaking of follow up on this show, yes, uh, one of our listeners and dear friends to you and I pointed out to us that uh, I made a gaffe on the last episode. I had mentioned the OSI. I had meant I had meant the OSS. Mm. Uh, so thank you, listener, for reminding me of what I already knew. Speaking of things that our listeners do, uh, back during season one, we talked about how we would mention if someone reviewed our podcast. We did. We did. And then we uh, didn't uh, pay attention because we didn't realize that iTunes doesn't send us emails or any notifications when people review our podcast. So, anyway, we've had some reviews, so we should probably talk about those. Yes, please. And I should have had those pulled up. I'm just spending all my time on this episode waiting on you. (laughs) You really are. (laughs) All right. We had one one one-star review... Interestingly, from the same person who gave our Stargate podcast one star, so sorry you don't like us, I guess, is my response to that. Keep listening. Maybe you'll change your mind. Maybe you won't, but we're happy to have you as a listener all the same. Yeah. Uh, We got a very nice review from uh, listener Johnny, who's been one of our most devoted listeners. He's been commenting on, on our podcast on Twitter since the very beginning, he gave us thank a you, vi- Johnny. It's very nice review talking about how much he he likes us. He thinks that we're critical, but we also show that we love the show. So that's good. That's what, that's the that's the point we're trying to get at. So right, that 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 is exactly what we're trying to get across. Thad and I both, which is part of why we're fairly good friends and have known each other and you know have been for so long, is that both of us part of our enjoyment of something is also getting to a point where it's like, okay, well, I enjoy this, but I can also see ways of how it could be even better or different or anything like that. So, like, we're never... 
we do not try to come across as negative for negative sake. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're making this podcast because we love Voyager. Yeah. Like, as a whole, as the whole thing. So, our criticism is in service of that larger love of the show. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. Uh, we got another review from Cable of Ascani, who titled their review Delta Flying High. So, I kind of like that. That's cool. Nice. Uh, uh, apparently Cable Viscani also likes Stargate Weekly, so good on ya. Uh, then we got a review from Rickleton. Say that we have great rapport and a contagious love of Voyager, so nice, nice. Thank you, Rickleton. And, uh, listener Alex Perry, who, uh, also listens to Stargate Weekly, uh, says that we have a fun discussion, so thank you, Alex. And then we also got one review on Podknife. Oh, that's nice. Uh, from uh, listener Matt, who was actually the person who suggested we put our podcast on Podknife. So I guess he, he was just waiting for us to do that so he could review us. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he says he really enjoys the show. Uh, so thanks, Matt, and keep on listening. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for your reviews, even Mr. One Star Guy. Uh, you know, we appreciate getting feedback. We're always trying to improve what we do so we can deliver to you, the listener, a nice little, you know, 30, 45 minutes of uh, two nerds hashing it out. So getting back to the episode. <laughs> yes, back to the episode. <laughs> I liked when... When uh, they're saying, okay, let's get underway, have we heard from Lieutenant Chakotay? Like, no, no, he hasn't Commander. checked in yet. And the ca- and Captain Chainway is like, have you tried hailing him? Yeah, and I oh really wanted God. someone to say, no, that's a good idea. And it feels like that's something Paris would do, too. Right, like, unfortunately, I think, like, sarcasm was largely outlawed in the 23rd century or something. No, that's not true. Look at Tuvok. <laughs> that's true, but... <laughs> it's like, come on, Captain. Yeah. So, we will in the future say that I will have in the past gone on a rant about new phasers and new tricorders. Yes. This is that week. Okay. I'm. My body is ready. <laughs> <laughs> so, you may or may not have noticed we have new phasers and new tricorders this episode. Here's what I noticed with the tricorders. Let me get this out. Really sure. quick, yeah. Before you launch in, so they capture Jacote, and they leave him his tricorder. <laughs> Especially for people who are so disdainful of technology. I mean, come on now. He went to Starfleet Academy. He can turn rocks into replicators. <laughs> and they left him his tricorder. So the tricorders are a little smaller and sleeker looking. Uh, the phasers now have more of a pistol-like grip to them. They used to be Dustbuster-shaped. They were Dustbuster-shaped. I had never I had never really thought of it that way. But yeah, that's pretty much what they were. Really yeah. small Dustbusters. And this is how you can tell this episode was actually produced for Season 2, because we have the new stuff. But let's talk about where these phasers and tricorders came from. Specifically... Where did these phases and tricorders come from? <laughs> right, because 
future knowledge, the Doctor has not been beamed out of the Delta Quadrant yet. Right. And we know that they didn't just swap over things when that happened, because they never changed uniforms. Which, God, bugs the heck out of me. Me too. I like the new uniforms better anyway, so yeah. Uh, Right, yeah, because the new uniforms are like, you know, qualitatively better. mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So, the only explanation is that there was like, uh, that they were delayed release. That I mean, if there were anything like the military, the U.S. military today, and presumably other countries as well, uh, they don't just one day decide, hey, we're going to have new guns. It goes through a long process. And we know way ahead of time that they're going to have new guns and when they're going to switch over to the new guns, etc. Right, yeah, they usually... um, Like, they start with, like, smaller units. Like, in the instance of, like, weapons in particular... um, my understanding is that they usually start with like smaller units like in the case of the army like the rangers um like more like special forces units because they also will tend to put them through their paces a little harder mm-hmm. um as a as a proving ground which is kind of like which is a little funny that they would like pick them to do it because if anybody needs all their equipment to be reliable all the time <laughs> It would be the people who need to use their equipment all the time. Yeah. It's like, like, all right, we're going to roll out Windows 10 to our most elite forces. Don't mind the fact your computer is going to restart itself in the middle of battle or anything. (laughs) I have strong feelings about Windows. So presumably when Voyager left Deep Space Nine... They already had the computer already had the specifications for the new phasers and new tricorders to start being released on X date, on like a time release on the replicator. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> we've already talked about how they have limited replicator rations. They have limit limited energy, which doesn't make sense because presumably they're supposed to have any. But anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, like our. Our closest analog today would be nuclear reactors, which, like, nuclear carriers and nuclear submarines don't need to refuel. They have very nearly infinite power. Right, and we know that they do actually need deuterium for the warp, or deuterium and also dilithium. I don't think the dilithium gets expended, typically, but they need deuterium as fuel for something. Okay. But, anyway... We know that they are limiting how many, how much they can use the replicators for food. So clearly, replicator usage is at a premium, and it's a finite resource. It does not make sense to to upgrade all of the phasers and tricorders on the ship if replicator resources are limited. I could understand like a slow switching over a little bit at a time. Anytime you need a new one, you get the new one. Mm-hmm. But again, we come back to uniforms. They never do that with the freaking uniforms. Uh, yeah, and surely they must wear out. I would right? think they're in them. Um, they probably wear out faster 23 than the hours a day. And tricorders. Yeah, well, I don't know. Future fabrics. Maybe they're awesome. Maybe, but we see we see them get torn sometimes. That's true. Anyway, yeah, the the real reason was they didn't want to use... They wanted to keep using the same props for Voyager in Deep Space Nine. So speaking of Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. 
one of the things that made me go, huh, in this episode was when Chakotay was talking with Carr. Mm-hmm. This is this is towards the end of the episode when they're in the cave, and it's just the two of them. And Chakotay is explaining to Carr that although Chakotay was given his name and he cherishes it, cherishes it, what is more akin to Carr's naming would be how Chakotay got his uniform. Yeah, and Chakotay also says that he cherishes his uniform, which I found very interesting, considering he's a Maki defector. Yeah. Well, he was a Starfleet officer before he was a Maquis defector, though. I recognize that. But he didn't defect from Starfleet because he had a particularly, like, rigid and radical definition of what Starfleet should be. Instead, like, he he defected for a whole other reason. Oh, yeah, that's, that's true. Because if he had, if he did, then he would not have been a good fit for first officer. Right. So it's interesting that isn't ineffective even anymore, even yeah. though, you know, as we can tell by his collar, he was former Maquis. And if anyone should have regular pips, it would be the person who actually did graduate the academy and earned that rank before he defected. But anyway, he didn't. Uh, he wasn't a lieutenant commander before he before he defected. I don't know what rank he was, actually. It doesn't matter. He didn't earn the rank that he has now. Yeah. Well, they shouldn't have special pips because we shouldn't be separate, be equal. But we've... Right. We've yeah, had yeah. that conversation to death. We what do you even... mean, we? Okay, like... I've <laughs> had a few diatribes on rank pips. One or two. Yeah. All right, so I want to talk about the Ogla and Razik. Okay. We see a lot of how ogla particular society works in this episode Uh how they're a warrior group that just feels they're always at war like they don't like there's no way that they're not at war with like that's like their default stance and this interesting thing um like when he when when razik first encounters car after they get back on board the 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 kazon mothership i don't know i don't think it ever gets a name and it's, you know, don't make excuses. Which, honest to God, I can get behind. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, and when Chakotay calls out, like, oh, you really start training them young. It's like, well, that's also like a Jesuit principle. Like, Oh, I have a comment about that, too. Okay. How does Chakotay have any idea how old Carr is? Because why would we assume Kazon aged the same as humans? He's going off size and lack of facial hair. Like I said what i mean he's i mean he's a little bit ageist i guess but it could also just be like a general demeanor i mean everything everything that we see about car from like from word one no no, no. but chakotay says he seems about 13 or 14 oh okay I, I i missed that i thought you were like focusing on like him constantly calling him son no i mean when the kazon first show up and chakotay hails them he said i'd say he's about 13 oh right yeah okay and that's where I'm like, you have no idea. He could be 342 for all you know. Right, but he might also... St- I mean... He could also be two. Uh, yes, like Kess. Mm. But, I mean, he'd also be 342 to Razik's 973. Yes. Like, and I wonder if this is young. a universal translator thing. Like, with the translator, like, 
if Kazon do age at a different rate, would the translator like turn it into the appropriate Kazon age? How would it know? It's an excellent question. Universal translators wacky. <laughs> yes, but yeah, I would I agree with what you were saying as well. Okay, so we had two one and duns on this episode. Oh, yes. Did you did you catch either of them? No. Okay. Oh, is there the whatever type of reading there is from the planet where the weapons are? Yes, the radiothermic readings. Okay. Uh, and a code white. Oh, yeah, code white, yeah. Which we can assume from the title means revive from death. I mean, I, I, I guess. From How the context s- clues, I mean, not the title. Yeah, yeah, from the context clues, like, from the title, like, <laughs> because he sees the white light at the end of the tunnel? Like... And you think we could have had this already, because there would have been a code white when Harry Kim came back after dying that one time? Yes. Which time? Uh, I was. I know which time. Yeah. It's a funny, funny joke. Yes, I get you. <laughs> so, is there a Federation NTSB or FAA? I don't know. So, what's interesting about the NTSB is any time there is a plane crash, it is assumed, like like the very first assumption made, is that. This is a problem that could have been avoided and can be prevented in the future, Mm -hmm. which is a very interesting and important distinction to make. And I have to wonder if like, I have to imagine like trains are probably the same way. Um, But it's not the assumption that's made in say like car collisions. And by car, I mean literally any vehicle that like travels on a highway. So cars, trucks, motorcycles, semis, whatever. Um, it should be assumed in car collisions because almost, e- almost every car collision could is preventable. Right. Exactly. Is is like you, you, by starting from this idea that the problem was preventable or could be prevented in the future, like allows you to put in place countermeasures that maybe are easier to apply when you're only dealing with, say, like, I don't know how many planes there are, like, on the planet, like, passenger planes, but let's say it's Mm 10,000. Like, that's an easier problem to solve than the, I don't know, like, 150 million cars that exist in the United States. Yes. But there's a reason why we have seatbelt laws and speed limits, because on some level, like, we did realize that there are problems that we can try to like prevent against so when it made me think of it when when Bogana was examining the wreckage uh-huh. and the doctor as well and he and it wasn't like when he was first talking about i don't know if i didn't notice it on the screen or i was like looking away or who knows what he's talking about how like he had examined the wreckage and he didn't find any evidence of human remains and i thought he was still talking about like the small like one foot square chunk of plating that Bellana had gotten beamed to her station. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not a lot to go off of. And then, and then it cuts to him just like surrounded by scrap. And I was thinking of like how the NTSB will like fully reconstruct a plane to the best of their ability in order to determine what had gone down. Mm-hmm. And the doctor just like, get this crap out of my office. And just like a general sort of like disregard for forensic science and like proper investigations. 
Yeah, although I think in this case it's assumed that it was not a that it was not a failure on the shuttle and more of a an attack. Yeah, I suppose that when a fair number of your ships could also fall under just being attacked by other people, then the initial precept of this could have been avoided. Uh huh. Kind of goes out the window. I mean, it still might have been, but not for mechanical reasons. Yeah, like, maybe we had better shields. Maybe we put armor plating where the bullets weren't. You know that Mm, story. I do. Yeah. To our listeners, uh, have fun researching that one. If you, if you want to know more, hit us up on Twitter and I'll, I'll, I'll get you a link to what I'm talking about when I say put armor where the bullets weren't. Hmm. That story, and then I also like the story about the guy who um, was brought in to consult on an issue with a plane and walked around the plane once and then, like, hammered something in one particular spot for a few seconds and solved the problem and then charged them several thousand dollars. And, like, yeah, but you didn't know where to pound the hammer. Right. Apparently my grandfather used to be about that. He could just, like walk a piece of land and tell them where future problems were going to come up. Was your grandfather an insurance adjuster? No, he would today be known as an agricultural engineer. Oh, okay. But he he had no that, formal education. An agricultural engineer would also make sense for that situation. Uh, yeah, my father has told me stories about how he had been like called in by the county to like help like grade and um survey pieces of land for like football fields and things of that nature and he would on occasion be like okay well you can put the field here if you really want to but there's gonna be a sinkhole under that uh under that field post in like three or four years (laughs) that's speaking that's pretty impressive uh, yeah he yeah he 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 was a bit of a like soil savant apparently i i barely knew my grandfather he died when i was three so i have incredibly hazy memories of him sure However, speaking of dying old, I did like the exchange between yes, yes, yes. <laughs> between between Chakotay and Carr. Just the speaking of dying old, though, that was funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, that was a good point. He's like, well, you want to die old and wrinkled in your bed? I'm like, yeah, don't yeah, w- w- yes, <laughs> I do. Like that. That seems fine to me. Like, <laughs> I have to mention, like, Chakotay also, like, might be equally fine with, like, dying in battle, but he's like, but I don't see, like, a downside to dying old. No. Which I think could have been an interesting point for him to make, which, you know, the, like, if he had, like, tacked on that additional bit, it was like, or even the idea of, like, I'm not, like, afraid of or have no, that, like, Chakotay and like his upbringing and his culture means that he's never like either afraid of or looking forward to death that it's just how and when death comes it comes however it comes it does and i'm at peace with it because i try to live my life in accordance with my, like in accordance with my beliefs as best i can every day and so if tomorrow is my last day then do I know that I live my life the best way that I can? Yes. Then okay. Sure, but, you know, it doesn't mean he necessarily wants to die. No, no, yeah, he doesn't want to die, but he's, like, completely okay. Like, if tomorrow, you know, if tomorrow is, you know, is a good day to die, then it's a good day to die. 
Perhaps today is a good day to die. Yeah, I'm definitely not in that place in my life where I would think it would be a good thing. I would be okay with dying tomorrow. Yeah, I don't know what else I have left to accomplish. I mean, I I have things. I'm not crazy about what I've done so far. Mm. But a lot of it, I think, yeah, we don't have to get into that. That's too existential. Mm. I mostly just like not, I just like to pretend that I don't have to think about my mortality. Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't have to think about it. I don't have to pretend about it. I really don't have to think about it. Yeah. Anyway. So I think so I think the last thing I want to talk about uh is when when they're on the planet and this gets back to my idea that Razik was like a really interesting character cuz mm-hmm. he was very politic. Mhm. And I thought that was really interesting and it really annoyed me when he died. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Cuz yeah, cuz like they 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 meet up with him on the planet and he seems like he's going along with them and then he leads them into a trap but not like one that's gonna kill them yeah and he makes the point it's like well i guess your technology isn't always awesome you would not do well on our training ground and i would love to like see or read something about like a starfleet crew going through a case on training ground because i bet they would do well probably yeah I mean, they'd lose, like, Ricky, obviously. Or, yeah. But, like, the rest of them, you know, like, after losing Ricky, and they'd be like, oh, shoot, this is for real. <laughs> like, you know, they would hunker down, and they would, like, find a way to either defeat, like, you know, get through the training ground, or hack the whole system so that now they control the training ground. Yes. Then they get accommodation for original thinking. That's right. So that was my last thing. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Like, that's more or less it. This episode was very Dr. Light. Yeah, I was pretty sad. I mean, it was pretty light on anybody who wasn't Chakotay. Janeway had a a little bit. Actually, you know, Paris had a fair amount to him. Yeah, this is the first time we see him in command. He was pretty solid. Mm -hmm. I'm liking season two Paris. Uh, Well, I mean, he had only only one way he could possibly go from season one Paris. I mean, that's not true. He could have gone into, like, the sub-sub-sub-basement of of you know douchebaggery but yes he the easier direction was up yes okay well in that case then next week we'll be talking about projections that's right uh thanks for listening this week though if you enjoyed this you should also listen to our other podcast starkey weekly you can find and review both podcasts on your podcast player of choice and you can also reach us at our email address deltaflyerpod at gmail.com you can find me on twitter at gamicus you can find me on twitter at tyrannicus and you can follow the show on twitter at deltaflyerpod and that's our show yep